0: Kia Welcome to Baptist People. My name's Charles Hewlett. And I'm Catherine Heslop. In our roles as National Leader and Executive Advisor within the Baptist Churches of New Zealand, we daily have the privilege of bumping into interesting people. These podcasts give us the opportunity to introduce them to you and to let them shape us as we endeavour to bring gospel renewal to people and places. In conversation, we explore something of their story. Why do we find them so interesting? What are they giving their lives to? Where does the motivation come from? We reflect together on both the highs and lows of their journey. Thanks, Heaps, for taking the time to listen in today. In this podcast, I talk with Anna Jones from Village Baptist. Anna shares with us about her recent research in vicarious trauma, how this has impacted her own life, and how we can identify it in our lives. Anna links vicarious trauma with our faith. What does Jesus have to say to us about this? Did he experience vicarious trauma through his humanity? And what are the learnings that we can take from the life of Jesus? We discuss how we as Christians should respond by honouring God with our lives and listening to his call to love others. I start by asking Anna to tell us a little about herself.
1: I'm a counsellor and I'm based in the sunny Hawks Bay. Nice. Uh, And I must say, I'm a real huge fan of podcasts and this is the first one I've been asked to speak on, so that's rather special. Very good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being willing to speak with us. Thank you for inviting (laughs) me. Yeah. As
1: I said, I'm a counsellor and I guess... What's led me to doing that is is a deep passion for people and Mm. for understanding and supporting people. Mm. But it it was quite a journey getting here. And I remember as a teenager thinking about what I was going to do as Mm. a career. And Mm. I remember wanting to be a counselor but yeah. i soon found out that i was actually too young and needed some life experience first right yeah so yeah my my interest in in people led me to uni mm-hmm. and studying cultural anthropology yeah. and languages and nice. while i didn't have a plan a i did have a plan b and that was to become mm-hmm. a teacher okay Okay. So, so yeah I headed in this direction of being a teacher um mm-hmm. but obviously got quite distracted along the way uh I had a few opportunities to to live overseas and so oh, I I jumped on them and and uh, had these experiences which you know they broadened my view of the world and of yeah. people. they were amazing yeah but eventually as much as I dragged my feet <laughs> I, I did become a teacher and soon after I got married as well. And okay. it wasn't until um, children didn't quite come as okay. expected yeah. that I realized how much I was hoping for an escape. I was right. hoping that plan A would just, you know, pop up at some stage. Yeah. And so I, I just ended up feeling quite empty and mm-hmm. overwhelmed, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, I was, I was grieving. I was grieving this invisible loss Yeah, on a constant basis wow yeah that's huge
0: yeah and then I guess gosh that must have been devastating grief when you know you wanted to have a family of your own and you found that it didn't happen as you expected it would
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't so much grieving and not having a family but grieving uh, the loss of expectations right that was pretty huge I just kind of expected that there Mm. would be a change coming up that something would take me
0: Mm. from this
1: um and yeah I guess in life you know it's quite common to say you know everyone else everyone Mm. else is doing this yeah (laughs) everyone else is starting a family yeah and and just one of those social expectations as well not Mm. just my own yeah so that was that was challenging And yeah, at the time we were, we were living in Auckland and Mm. it was actually when we moved to Hawke's Bay, when everything changed and I had the opportunity to begin training as a counsellor. And that was amazing because, Mm. you know, finally, finally I felt like maybe this is plan A. So last year I finished my master's in counseling yeah and now I work as a counselor for a local NGO and nice. loving it yeah um, awesome <laughs> my, my husband and I go to village baptist where I serve in the music team there and he there is go. the lead pastor
0: oh that's awesome thank you Anna yeah so tell us about your studies vicarious trauma how did you come to study such a thing as that
1: yeah totally (laughs) Um, (laughs) but one of the most common questions that I get asked as a counselor is how do you do that how Mm -hmm. do you sit with people and hear stories like Mm -hmm. that yeah Uh, and it's often a question I ask myself so before getting into this research um, Mm I had learned about things like burnout and self-care as I looked into this more I started finding out about things like compassion fatigue and secondary traumatic stress and then vicarious trauma and this one resonated with me because of my interest in trauma work but also my desire to be able to sustain the work that I wanted to do so I focused my research on counselors experiences of coping with vicarious trauma this research was part of my master's degree
0: okay awesome so in a nutshell what is vicarious trauma
1: yeah yeah so um in a nutshell vicarious trauma describes this gradual change in someone's sense of self and their view of others in the world and this is a gradual change that can Mm. eventually affect the whole person so their their psychological their spiritual their social and physical well-being right. and it comes about from hearing the trauma stories of another person so it can but it doesn't necessarily affect those who have a close caring relationship with someone negatively impacted by trauma mm-hmm. it can affect the close family or friends yeah. and those who work in caring professions with trauma survivors so yeah. it's, it's just showing that you can experience this same kind of trauma vicariously
0: yeah how has vicarious trauma impacted your own life how did you work through it what are the learnings that came about as a result of it
1: yeah so since doing this research I've looked back on my own experience in quite a different way I remember in the months after the start of the pandemic, um, there were a number of times I was driving to and from work. I was, saw, you know, people walking around and, mm. and seeing people's homes as I was going by. Mm. And I just had this eerie sense that that these people had experienced some horrific abuse. And that, Gosh. you know, if I was to go into these homes that mm. I would see cruelty and, mm. and neglect taking place. And it was just so bizarre. And I, I, I there was a point when I realized that this wasn't good. <laughs> this wasn't normal. This wasn't how I usually saw the world. And in in doing this research, I was able to identify what was actually starting to happen. Mm. So I immediately put into action some of the things that I was learning about, some of the things yes. that these counselors did to cope. Mm. Actually, one of the first things I did was. I started doing Pilates <laughs> yeah, during <laughs> during one of the first lockdown Pilates is, is a lot more gentle but it involves yeah. like strengthening and stuff um, and, it, and it just really helped me it helped with the stress and anxiety because for me I hold that in my body mm. um and I carry a lot of pain and tension uh, wow. quite regularly and so doing something yeah. like Pilates was was really helpful um but I also uh got counseling for myself so I arranged to to see a counselor Um, Mm. and another thing I did was um, try to develop rhythms of mindfulness okay mindfully present with my thoughts what was around me uh, just with curiosity and if anything came up that I noticed myself struggling with I'd often take a a deep breath and, and bring it to God
0: so those are three really good things that we could put into our own lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because mm-hmm. these these things
1: helped me to keep working. They helped me to mm-hmm. stay focused, even though I, I was struggling with this sort of change that was going on yeah. in my outlook. Yeah, and I, I think the greatest learning from this was realizing the value of developing healthy rhythms in mm-hmm. my life with With all the big things that are going on in the world today and the collective Mm -hmm. trauma and grief and fatigue that we're all experiencing, Mm. I know for myself that I need these rhythms.
0: And I guess as well, in the first place, it was that EQ that you showed to recognize your thought patterns and recognize that your thinking had slowly started to change and that you were actually having those unhealthy thought patterns about the world and about the trauma that other people experience. Yeah, so... How can we identify it in our own lives? I mean, you've just explained a way that you have identified it, you know, and if we identify it, what do we do about it? I've spoken to you previously, Anna, and you sort of mentioned that as a part of your research, you created a model for counsellors to use. And I'm sure that that can be wider for all of us in everyday lives to use, um, you know, to help us process our own vicarious trauma in our own lives
1: sure um yeah like I said vicarious trauma typically comes on gradually it involves these these negative shifts um, in how you see yourself others and the world and you you might pick up on it yourself or you Mm -hmm. might notice it and and just the things that other people are saying in their comments so just like firsthand trauma it can disrupt parts of your your psychological development. It can cause you to feel extremely vulnerable, right. uh, Helpless, cynical, yeah. Um, maybe alienated, and it can involve overwhelming, uh, recurring memories or imagery uh, related to the trauma. Mm-hmm. So, they, like the images popping up in your mind without you wanting it to be there. Yeah. Okay. And it can also have uh, be related to physical issues such as Mm. the pain and and intention and, and illness Mm -hmm. uh, and sleep disturbance. Yeah. One, one thing that's worth being aware of if, if someone is exposed to another person's trauma and, and they're starting to feel increasingly unsafe or that Mm -hmm. the world is, you know, just a a hopeless mess. Mm -hmm. They can't trust anyone. Right. I would say, this is a red flag because Mm. this is when feelings of irritation and resentment are much harder to manage Mm. and it's at this point that it's easy to shift from caring for a survivor of trauma to Mm. actually blaming and re-traumatizing them so a a person Mm. in this situation needs to find someone that they trust enough Mm. and and get some support for themselves
0: yeah well so it's kind of that um, almost catastrophic thinking or all or nothing black and white like everything is bad kind of thing and sort of noticing that in your own thinking if you are starting to head down that track
1: yes yes absolutely um, but the the good news is that it doesn't mm. have to get this far. We can work on growing our resources internally yeah. and externally. Mm. We can um, build resilience, and mm. this this can apply not just to individuals but to groups and communities as well. So mm. the the model I developed is not about fixing but about coping.
0: Okay,
1: and it it's got these four four interrelated sections the main section that everything fits into is called meaning right that relates to our outlook on life how we make sense of the world ourselves and Mm. others So, I'll I'll just give you some coping Mm. examples from from each section in meaning uh, one thing to do is to be intentional about cultivating a hopeful optimistic perspective so this involves noticing the good in mm-hmm. and around you and cultivating gratitude. Another thing, often people who offer this type of support to others, they feel a sense of call to this. That, mm-hmm. And they're uniquely gifted and in, in listening, understanding mm-hmm. and encouraging. So it can be helpful to remember this sense of call and mm-hmm. gifting. Now, under the section self, you'll find work-life balance. That means, you know, when you work or volunteer, have some downtime or mm. fun planned into your week so that you can recharge in the way that you need to.
0: That's important. Yeah.
1: And you'll also see general self-care, like mm. looking after your body, feeding it, nurturing it, keeping it fit and healthy. And I guess you could call this stewardship, being a good steward of what you know God's given you.
0: Yeah. Awesome
1: the next section is I guess sort of the connection section you yourself are connected with others and something really practical to do in in this space um particularly with the person you're supporting is Mm. to honor that relationship by having really clear boundaries Mm. knowing your limits so that you're not pouring from Mm. an empty vessel and getting overwhelmed and also um Staying connected with others in general is a really big one for mm. for coping. As, right as someone who cares for others, there's mm. value in being held up and sustained by the support of others. Yourself, yeah. So it's
0: the importance of community. Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, and and a big one for me as a Christian is is actually my connection with God, knowing that He's always with me, He's working yeah. in and through me, and just mm. having rhythms of prayer helps me to remember and stay receptive to, to what he's doing.
0: So how does this all link to our faith? Um, you know, what would Jesus have to say to us about this?
1: Uh, that's interesting you ask, because mm-hmm. um, in my research, it was quite clear that spirituality plays a big role in coping right. with vicarious trauma. And, and for me, I associate that with my faith. And my faith has had a huge impact on my outlook on life and you know, how I see myself and mm-hmm. others as children of God created yeah. in this image and how I see the world you know, as, a, as a place lovingly created by a loving creator God, mm-hmm. a place marked by sin and brokenness, but a place in the process of being lovingly restored and mm-hmm. redeemed and a process in which
0: we can be involved. Wow. Beautiful picture.
1: Yeah. So my my faith gives meaning and perspective in my care of others and my mm-hmm. own experience of vicarious trauma. And with vicarious trauma, this this can get a bit blurry. Um, <laughs> you know, that shift in, in your outlook and yes. in my outlook. So for me, being part of a faith community means that I can be reminded of these things through regular participation in worship, hearing scripture being read. Yeah praying and talking with others so essentially ritual and relationship help restore my perspective and my faith
0: so massively important yeah yeah
1: huge Uh, and yeah, again the community just being Mm -hmm. in in a Christian community helps me and my perspective you know Um, to reorientate myself
0: yeah yeah so did did Jesus experience vicarious trauma through his humanity? Um, you know, what learnings can we take from the life of Jesus?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question because, you know, at the cross, Jesus took on the sin and suffering mm. of all, all humanity. And that was certainly vicarious because it wasn't his, it was um, ours. Yeah. Um, and much of it would have been severely traumatic. Yes. But Absolutely. um, yeah, I, if we think of it, if we go back to like his, his day-to-day life, something that really strikes me is his compassionate and empathic presence mm. with those who are suffering. And you see that in the story of the woman at the well, where he didn't judge her past mm. brokenness, but received her with it. Yeah. And in the story of the woman caught in adultery, where Jesus made himself vulnerable to mm. the religious leaders by siding with her and Mm -hmm. protecting her and also in the in the story of Lazarus's death Jesus allowed himself to be emotionally affected Mm -hmm. by the grief of Lazarus's sisters and this compassionate empathic presence that he models is the very same thing that makes us susceptible to vicarious trauma Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because in Jesus's life, um, we're actually just watching the Chosen series at the moment with our family. And, um, you know, something that strikes me was Jesus had his own boundaries in his ministry. You know, he'd often say, I need to go away to be by, by myself to pray and to sort of recharge. And so we can see that he lived he lived those boundaries in his own life and yet he was so present and so able to empathize with people and with their yes. trauma.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of see it. It's really cool uh-huh. the, the chosen series where you can see the actors playing this out yeah. in such a beautiful way, um, yeah. but yeah, how he is exercising those, those boundaries. He's no he knows his limits. He is very much human and yeah, I really appreciate how he's able to show care um, without colluding with yes. sinful or harmful behavior yeah. yeah and also like he's got such a massive purpose that he, um, he sticks to he's, he's got this yes. clear calling he sticks at it
0: yeah awesome now that's really good to be reminded of Jesus's life and yeah I mean as you say the picture of Jesus on the cross like it's vicarious trauma in and of its own So, you know, so is this something that we should be afraid of and, you know, trying to avoid because the vulnerability or the risk of being impacted by someone else's trauma, I mean, that's huge. Or is this something that as Christians, you know, we should embrace in our own journey of honoring God, you know, with our lives and and listening to his call to love others? Yeah. Well,
1: actually, this, this brings to mind how the, the people who actually coined the term vicarious trauma, they mm-hmm. describe it as an occupational hazard for trauma counsellors. So, yeah, with that understanding, we don't avoid it. We, we prepare for it and we manage yeah. it. But for non-counsellors, that's, that's actually a really good question. Should Christians avoid it or embrace it? Now, I'm not sure uh, about the language of embracing suffering, but I know what you mean. And if, if we look at Jesus and how he suffered, we see that he knowingly took on this huge burden of suffering
0: Mm. out of
1: love. And he also humbled himself time and again Mm. as a servant for others. And as Christians who seek to be Christ-like to reflect that same love and humility, Mm. I think suffering will be inevitable, but we know that in our suffering, we have Jesus when we take the risk of entering into the suffering of others of potentially wounding ourselves and being Mm. a healing presence to another we participate in the very life of Christ Mm. and this is this is what sustains us this calling this relationship Mm. and this identity if we're ever to experience the suffering of vicarious trauma we do so in participation of the life of Christ Mm. the one in whom we find comfort meaning and hope
0: wow yeah that is massive and that is such a beautiful way of looking at it and just reminding ourselves you know of the life of Christ and what he did for us thank you so much Anna it's been really great to talk to you today and uh, yeah we really appreciate it and hope that for everyone out there this is yeah it's been a useful listen (laughs) so thank you
1: thank you it's been a pleasure